Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We've got good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives and I think you all know what the crazy martini is today if you've been paying attention to the news over the last 24 hours, but we will get to that in due time. Jim, we start with the good news, and it's actually involving the Democrats. They are looking to seriously shake up the order of their primary schedule. The fight is now on for who gets to go first now. Uh, NBC News with the report, President Joe Biden is recommending that South Carolina, the state that lifted him to frontrunner status in the 2020 primaries, kick off the Democrats' 2024 presidential nominating contest. In doing so, he has set off a frenzied scramble among competing early states that are apoplectic over the proposal. The proposed order would do away with the Iowa caucuses leading things off. Instead, South Carolina would go first, followed by New Hampshire and Nevada on the same day trailed by Georgia and then Michigan, according to two senior party officials. Now, in addition to that, it appeared yesterday that uh, NBC News and others reporting yesterday that officials were poised to drop Iowa and move Michigan up in their presidential primary calendar starting in 2024, potentially making Michigan uh, the first state. But New Hampshire, Jim, you got to love this reaction. The plan drew howls from New Hampshire Democratic Party Chair Ray Buckley, who first told NBC News that his state would be the first primary contest no matter what. The Democratic National Committee, quote, did not give New Hampshire the first in the nation primary. It's not theirs to take away. We will be holding our primary first. And so, Jim, given all the problems with uh, the Iowa caucuses, we love the people of Iowa. Uh, It's understandable that Iowa would not go first. That's a good reason to do it. Also, because the same states, in our estimation, we've talked about before, shouldn't always get to have the biggest voice in starting off the, the nominating process. So what do you make of the shift away from Iowa? I already think I know what you think about that. But what do you make of the massive Democratic infighting over who ought to go first? As a fan of shaking up the schedule so it's not the same handful of states that have their own unique uh, idiosyncrasies and types of populations and issues that matter, you know, ethanol subsidies have a whole bunch of opposition all, all across the country, but not so much in the state of Iowa, for example. I like to see this. And also, I generally like to see Democratic infighting in general. (laughs) <laughs> but I think one of the, like, first of all, a good question would be, you know, do the Republicans look at this and say, yeah, the Democrats are right. You know, if they're not going to start things off with a caucus, we shouldn't start things off with a caucus. And it's time for that tradition to end. Longstanding political c- traditions can end. The Ames straw poll stopped occurring. People kind of realized that, you may, you may remember, you know, for those who have forgotten, this was this summer event the year before the primary started, held in Ames, Iowa. That had usually been kind of this, you know, it began, began as this somewhat useful, hey, here's the current preferences of people who are really into politics in Iowa right now. And it was only only Republicans did this. And then all of a sudden campaigns like, well, we got to try to win this. <laughs> so all of a sudden everybody started campaigning to it. And for a couple of weeks, Ames, Iowa was the most important place in American politics, even though it didn't actually determine anything about the, pre- the nomination process. It was entirely kind of this media exercise of who's got momentum and who exceeded expectations, et cetera, et cetera. Look, there are 49 states who think Iowa should not go first. There are 48 states who think that New Hampshire should not get the first primary. South Carolina is like, yeah, you know, we're, we're okay where we are. <laughs> you know, there's this kind of this idea of every state wants to go first. We've done it this way for a long time. 
I think we've reached the limit of the patience of the rest of the country, in part because we've seen, like you know, last year was a really vivid example of this. Bernie Sanders won the, uh, or at least you know was considered to be the winner in Iowa, although they you know they couldn't count the votes quickly enough. By the way, as you were going through that description, Greg, I saw the state of California just shifting uncomfortably in its seat. <laughs> oh, it's it's bad if it takes a long time to count the vote. It, people expect the the, the results quickly. Ugh, okay, well. Well, we really wanted to go first, but maybe that's not really our strong suit. Um, now, well, people have debated this for years, and I a long time the idea of should it rotate every cycle? Uh, I put forth a plan. People reminded me of it this morning. It goes all the way back to 2012, uh, in which you'd start with the smallest states and the least, you know, the ones with the fewest voters, where if you really were a lesser known candidate, you didn't have the funding that a lot of other candidates had, well, then you could probably try to make an impact there through retail politicking. Every cycle, there's at least one candidate in a crowded field who says, I'm going to move to Iowa. I'm going to be there. I'm going to shake the hand of every single person and every single diner, and that's going to put me to the top. And it never works out. Also, intriguingly, the person who wins the Iowa caucuses very rarely goes on to win the presidency, certainly on the Republican side. And it's one of those next questions like, okay, well, like if this, if what works in Iowa isn't what works everywhere else in the country, why does it get to go first? Why is it considered so important? And that's why you hear, you know, everybody in the state of New Hampshire like to boast, Iowa picks corn, New Hampshire picks presidents. And there are 40 other <laughs> states who say, shut up, that's stupid. The rest of us should have a chance to pick presidents too. Why do you guys who are concerned about snowplow management and, and syrup and red flannel shirts and all that kind of stuff, why do you guys get to pick the president? And by the time it gets to us, the contest is already over. I think there's a lot of pent up frustration about this. And Iowa not being able to count the votes in a reasonable amount of time was just the straw that broke the camel's back. So I look at this and I'm thinking, all right, if this ends up with a different schedule and that not just like I'd like to see Virginia go uh, go earlier in the process, or at least I'd like to still be a competitive race by the time I get to cast my ballot here. But also there are a whole bunch of other states that deserve to go earlier. There are a whole bunch of other states with, you know, people have noted Unless you want to count you know, Las Vegas and Nevada, there really isn't a major big city that participates in the process until fairly late. Sorry, Manchester. Sorry, Des Moines. Sorry, Columbia. Sorry, South Carolina, because I really like you as a state. My parents live down there. But there is kind of this interesting question, like the, the this seemingly random process that prioritizes these same four states cycle after cycle. Why shouldn't a state like Georgia or Texas or California or New York or Massachusetts or any of these, why shouldn't they go sooner? Why is it always these ones who get to do this? So if the Democrats end up breaking up this monopoly that has effectively set the course of presidential politics for really the past two generations, then great, this is good. Uh, my guess, the Democrats being the Democrats, this argument is going to go off in some strange and dumb directions. That's okay. Um, I doubt, I'd be very surprised if New Hampshire ended up voting for Republicans simply because they feel like the Democrats have betrayed them. If it does shake out that way, I will welcome it. But honestly, is is that really the criteria you should be picking a president on? <laughs> well, they tried to make that an issue with Maggie Hassan because she wasn't sticking up for New Hampshire and you saw how much traction that got. She still won by uh, double figures. Uh, your old colleague Jonah Goldberg stirring the pot even more yesterday on Twitter saying, instead of moving primaries, maybe get rid of them altogether. They've made the country worse and there's nothing essential about them. I would strongly disagree with that. Yeah, you can get people you, you don't necessarily want as the party, as your nominee, potentially people you think have a, a less chance of winning. But to take that role away from the voters at this point, that would not go over well at all. I was going to say, who, who would Jonah prefer to have handle it instead? The 
168 members of the Republican National Committee who think that Ronna McDaniel is doing a great job. <laughs> I'm not really Smoke. sure that gets us out of the out of the frying pan into the fire. You know, <laughs> somebody's got to pick, and you might as well let the the people. The I'd prefer it be registered members of the party. Yes. Some states like Virginia don't register people by party, so you kind of have you know, maybe you have to indicate an interest or a preference in voting in a primary by a certain date or something like that. But I believe that you know this as much as people are like oh Operation Chaos and all the meddling that Democrats did this cycle. Call me crazy. I think Republicans should pick the Republican nominee and Democrats should pick the Democratic nominee. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Smoke-filled rooms, I guess, is how it otherwise would be done. Or maybe they'd just be vape-filled rooms at this I mean, point. I, I know, I was... I, last I talked to him, Jonah smokes cigars every now and then. So maybe he just likes <laughs> smoke-filled rooms in general. <laughs> well, I'll tell you about the best kind of smoking. Mm. Not, that, not that kind. The kind that comes off your grill with the phenomenal aroma of Omaha steaks. And the steaks are fantastic. I've talked about how Mrs. Corbis grilled those up as soon as we got them. Uh, took some of the filet mignon burgers over to my father in-laws this week. He grilled them up. Absolutely delicious. You can't get a better product than Omaha Steaks. Omaha Steaks are naturally aged for the ultimate in tenderness, juiciness, and flavor. They'll send an assortment of mouth-watering favorites from the legendary butcher's cut filet mignon, the air-chilled boneless chicken breasts, ultra-juicy burgers, and even an easy-to-prepare comfort meal that you can have ready in a flash. Omaha Steaks is a gift from the heart. It's a gift that will be remembered with every unforgettable bite. Order with complete confidence today, knowing that you're ordering the very best. Visit omahasteaks.com and use the promo code MARTINI at checkout to get that extra $30 off your order. Minimum order may be required. omahasteaks.com, promo code MARTINI at checkout. omahasteaks.com, code MARTINI. All right, Jim, it was just a little bit earlier this year uh, that on the one hand, we had California Governor Gavin Newsom saying, we are going all in on electric vehicles. It's the only kind of new car you're going to be able to buy by the middle part of next decade. And then a couple of days later, they were saying at the government level, uh, yeah, we're probably going to have a power crunch here, rolling blackouts. And so if you have an electric vehicle, don't charge it right now which means you can't use your electric vehicle at that point. So a lot of good that does. And now it's not just California. Over in Europe, of course, because we've got a potential energy crunch going over there as well. Switzerland now, according to Der Spiegel, could be the first country to impose driving bans on e-cars in an emergency to ensure energy security. Several media report this unanimously and refer to a draft regulation on restrictions and bans on the use of electrical energy. Specifically, the paper says, quote, The private use of electric cars is only permitted for absolutely necessary journeys, such as professional practice, shopping, visiting the doctor, attending religious events, or attending court appointments. A stricter speed limit is also planned on the highways. Furthermore, most of the electricity in Switzerland comes from hydropower. However, the country also imports electricity from Germany and France. If there are bottlenecks there, electricity could become scarce in Switzerland. So, Jim... That's the problem now when EVs are still this novelty act. If uh, the government wants that to be what everybody drives on the roads, that's going to lead to a power crunch that nobody's going to be able to sustain, including here in the United States. And all of a sudden, with this energy crunch, we're back to uh, essential activities. That was only a couple of years ago that we started hearing about absolutely essential and non-essential activities. I don't want to have to have that every time I need to go somewhere. Yet another problem with this movement. Greg, Greg, now let's keep in mind the previous restriction on non-essential activities 
Well, that was because of the pandemic a couple of years ago. And this one, this is totally different. It's because of an energy crisis, because of a war in Ukraine and the potential restriction of uh, energy supplies like natural gas to Europe. And the next time, it could be something completely different, like the people in the government are in a bad mood or something. It could be any old reason. You can't just say, oh, they're doing this all the time. Each time they've got a good reason. You and I have, have chuckled about electric vehicles in the past, that infamous and I think well-written Wall Street Journal account of trying to go from New Orleans to Chicago and finding chargers in the right place. If electric vehicles, uh, you know, and I, I understand people who would argue there's a bit of a chicken and egg sort of thing. More people will want electric vehicles if there are more chargers around and if they can charge faster. And one of the reasons people don't build more charging stations is not enough people have, you know, are driving electric vehicles. But I think all that electricity that goes into your batteries got to come from somewhere. And a whole bunch of people who are enthusiasts of electric vehicles who see themselves as environmentalists didn't want to think too hard about where all that electricity was going to come from. It could come from nuclear. Uh, they're not going to do that. It could come from, uh, you know, coal. Oh, I hate that. Or it can come from natural gas, which is great as long as you have a supply of natural gas and you have a good way of getting it there. People have been pointing this out for a very long time. And Switzerland, I think, you know, look, this is a tentative proposal. It's a long way between this coming reality. But the very fact that in order to deal with an energy crisis, they're trying to restrict the use of electric vehicles is a really indi you know, clear indicator that they haven't thought this through. Hopefully this never comes to pass. Hopefully this never gets off the drawing board. But it is a good indicator that a lot of the people who've been touting and celebrating and cheering and nudging and in some place like really kind of pushing you to go towards electric vehicles haven't thought through about the reliability of supply or the long-term ramifications of everybody trying to switch to this new form of energy use all at the same time. Well, there's the electricity capacity problem because we're in some places we're strained already, even with most people not driving these things. And then there's also the lie about how these are going to replace uh, internal combustion engines. Because I saw a very interesting thread yesterday pointing out that you don't have enough of the rare earth minerals needed to go into these EV batteries to create enough vehicles to replace the number of vehicles that use an internal combustion engine and run on gasoline. There simply isn't enough material on the planet, no matter how hard you drive the slave child labor in some of these African nations. And so... It's just not feasible. And so what that means is if you force internal combustion engines with gasoline off the road, you're going to be forcing people into not having their own personal transportation. It's simply a matter of fact, and uh, they won't tell you that. But uh, it's if you look at the reality, it's one more reason why this is not a good idea. Yeah, look, I, I haven't driven, I'm trying to think if I've ever driven any electric vehicle. I've been in a few. Um, now I, I right now drive a uh, Nissan Murano. Uh, it's got four-wheel drive, six cylinders. It's good in the snow. We haven't really dealt with much snow here in Northern Virginia, but longtime listeners to this podcast know that Northern Virginia cannot handle any snow. They, the residents and school <laughs> districts are almost literally snowflakes about the potential for snowflakes. And the times that we have gotten real snow, I think before that I had the Subaru uh, Forester, it has four-wheel drive. That's a big help in snow. I have yet to see, my, my, attitude, my sense is that electric vehicles are lighter um, and I'm very curious of whether people believe that electric vehicles handle snow really well. If so, terrific. But if not, that's one more reason why what looks like an option, a great option, if you want to have a little Tesla that looks very sporty and zips around the town or looks good in the ads, great. Okay, if you if that's if that's what you want in a vehicle, that's fine. But there are people who don't. There are people who need to take the so the, the whole kids to the soccer team, and they got to put like six kids in the back. Or they got to buy a whole bunch of groceries. Or they like to be able to tra travel stuff around. I remember Elon was building, was it the Cybertruck or something? 
that was all weird angles and looked like a transformer oh, yeah. or something. Yeah. Yep, exactly. You know, like maybe the day will come when there are electric trucks that you absolutely trust to handle in bad weather and every single circumstance. But I don't begrudge someone for having a certain amount of wariness of wondering whether electric vehicles uh, perform as well as uh, in, you know old-fashioned gasoline ones. And then the next question is, because they're really much more expensive, if you're, you know, let's say you're in the market for an electric car, well, maybe you could afford the regular light SUV, regular SUV, truck, et cetera, by gasoline. But when it comes to electric, maybe you can only handle one of those tiny little, you know, uh, four-door sedans. And maybe that maybe that works for you, maybe it doesn't. So, you know, this the, the what goes into somebody's purchase of a car is pretty complicated. And you get the feeling that like a lot of the cheerleading for electric vehicles is by people who don't really understand what other people need in their vehicles in order to live their lives. Yeah. The more you look at it, the dumber the idea is. It's all about this green agenda and they're trying to shoehorn it in and reality is slapping them back in the face. Hopefully there's enough time to uh, reverse course on this agenda. All right. Hang on tight. We'll talk Kanye next. All right, Jim, on to the crazy martini now. And if there's ever been a martini that was crazy, it was yesterday. Uh, Kanye West, along with his uh, detestable new friends, Nick Fuentes and Milo Yiannopoulos, uh, were over at InfoWars with Alex Jones. I think this is the first time we're ever going to use clips from InfoWars, and I certainly pray that it's the last. But nonetheless, the issue, of course, was uh, the dinner. Uh, Kanye West and these guys meeting with Donald Trump last week at Mar-a-Lago. So Alex Jones is trying to defend Kanye West here in the beginning with the simple thing of, look, look, I know you're not a Nazi. And Kanye jumps in and goes, hey, 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 yeah, why are you so negative on that? Listen. You're not a Nazi. You don't deserve to be called that and demonized. Well, I, I, see, I, I see good things about Hitler also. The Jew, I love everyone. And Jewish people are not going to tell me, you can love, um, you know, us. And you can love what we're doing to you with the contracts. And you can love what we're, you know, what we're pushing with the pornography. But this guy that invented highways, invented the very microphone that I use as a musician, you can't say out loud that this person ever did anything good. And I'm done with that. I'm done with the classifications. Every human being has something of value that they brought to the table, especially Hitler. I've said it, the most Nazi-like activities I've seen um, and, and the Nazis, in my view, were thugs that shook people down to a lot of really bad things. But they did good things, too. We're going to stop dissing the Nazis all the time. Yeah. Anytime you, uh, at any point in a quote saying, you know, we need to stop dissing the Nazis so much, you know, you're definitely on the wrong track and hopelessly on the wrong track at that point. But uh, here's one more, because, of course, uh, hanging out with these guys and maybe he's already thought this for a while. Kanye West uh, pouring cold water on what really happened with the Holocaust. It's like he had a really cool outfit and stuff, and he was a really good architect. And, uh, and so you're in love with the with the with the with the with the, archi- the, the the look of it. And he didn't kill six million Jews. That's just like factually incorrect. That's yeah, let's so- get the Ronald Reagan clip they showed me yesterday. Sorry, go ahead. Ronald Reagan said that too. Well, I think Hitler did target and kill some people. So I think you know. I think Obama killed Palestinians. No, I hear you. Here, here's where I think the frustration is. And Nick, you can comment on this. And Obama was not the first black president. He was another Jewish president. So, Jim, obviously, these are reprehensible comments. We know the history. Uh, as I've mentioned many times, I speak with uh, veterans. I've also spoken with Holocaust survivors. I've spoken with veterans who uh, have liberated concentration camps. Uh, and to see the emotion in their face with the eyes and uh, the, the 
tears welling up in there and the, the quivering of the voice as they go back to that moment in time. We all know it's real. These guys are insane, uh, but it's evil. It's hurtful to people. It might inspire other people. I don't know. It's obvious that Kanye West has serious, serious problems uh, in addition to being horrifically wrong about all this stuff. So uh, what jumped out to you most in all this? Well, if it didn't involve watching a guy who many of us have, I don't want to say suspected, I guess because he was flat out new, had serious mental problems, mental health issues. And Kanye had talked about this in the past. We, we knew he was troubled. I don't know if we knew just how troubled he was, just how insane he was, and just how the lengths he would go to in his pursuit of shock value. And or, yeah, maybe he's buying everything Nick Fuentes is selling. Maybe he's bought into this completely. Um if it wasn't all so damn sad and so potentially uh, badly consequential in terms of having a major celebrity say, hooray for Nazis, it would be funny because there was a moment where, as you kind of just played there, you could tell Alex Jones for maybe the first time in his life is sitting there and realizing I'm the sane one in this conversation. <laughs> Alex Jones, we really thought Alex Jones was about as crazy as you could get. And then he's saying, now, Kanye, I know you're not a Nazi and you don't love Hitler. And Kanye's like, actually, Alex, I do. I'm paraphrasing, but I think you get the gist there. And it was it just kept going on. I like Hitler. I, I love Nazis. I see good things in Hitler. The Holocaust is not what happened. Hitler has a lot of redeeming qualities. Oh, really, Kanye? Name them. Because you know, he, let's say he was a lovely singing, he had a lovely singing voice or something like that. Oh, that's kind of it's not. I don't think you can say. Oh, well, that balances out the Holocaust and World War II and all the millions of people who were tortured and killed. No, 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 it does not work that way. So we've all kind of known Kanye was crazy. I think what is consequential about this is three, there were three things I kind of laid out in today's morning jolt. First, back in October, Tucker Carlson did a sit down interview with Kanye West. And before he played the tape of the interview, he did this whole monologue about how Kanye West is not crazy. I'm going to quote him directly. Crazy? That was not our conclusion. In fact, we've rarely heard a man speak so honestly and so movingly about what he believes. But again, you can judge for yourself, end quote. Greg, I think we can judge now. Um, and oh, by the way, it was later revealed that Kanye said all kinds of crazy things in that interview with Tucker Carlson. And Tucker Carlson and his producers left all that stuff on the cutting room floor. Now, when you're doing that, you're not being honest with your viewers. Back, people could say you're lying to your viewers. If you go out of your way to say, this man is not crazy, and you hide all the evidence that he is crazy, you are not helping illuminate the world. You are not helping people understand the state of things. You're trying to mislead them. You're trying to get them to believe things that are not true. And I'd really like to see somebody hold Tucker Carlson accountable for this. This is, you know, this isn't just routine, oh, he made a bad prediction or he exaggerate. No, no. He tried to convince people that Kanye West was sane when I think it's pretty clear he is not sane. Second item is that dinner with uh, Mar-a-Lago. Kanye West had not necessarily come out and said the Holocaust didn't happen, but he had previously said he was going to go to on, quote, death con three on Jews, unquote, beforehand. So people had kind of said, you know, what, what was Trump thinking with this? And the only explanation we've gotten from Trump is, hey, I didn't know who Nick Fuentes was. We can argue about whether he should have. We can argue. I noticed Trump has not come out and said, and Nick Fuentes is this horrible little twerp, and I want nothing to do with him, and his you know, claim the Holocaust never happened is absolute nonsense. We haven't heard any of that from Trump. He'll denounce Karl Rove. He'll denounce Ron DeSantis. He'll denounce National Review. He will not denounce Nick Fuentes. But now, in the subsequent after that, you could say, oh, he didn't know who Nick Fuentes. Well, he knew who Kanye West was. 
there's no way Trump had not heard about Kanye West starting to get more and more overtly anti-Semitic. And Trump invited him over anyway. And then if he had this idea of like, well, okay, that dinner is not that consequential. Nobody's going to remember this. Kanye West goes on a program and literally says he loves Hitler. Literally says he loves Nazis. Literally says the Holocaust didn't happen. So here's the interesting question. It's not just like, oh, I want Trump to denounce Kanye. I really wish Donald Trump had had the judgment to recognize the trouble and the problem of Kanye beforehand. And the fact that Donald Trump does not have that is an indicator that maybe we shouldn't trust him with the power of the presidency anymore. Actually, you could argue whether we ever should have. But in this case, he clearly has no problem with Kanye saying he's going to go on DEFCON 3 on Jews, as long as Kanye is saying nice things about him. And if the accounts of the dinner are true, the only thing that Trump objected to in the course of that dinner was Kanye West saying he was going to run for president in 2024, and Kanye wanted Donald Trump to be his running mate. That was a bridge too far for the former president. But then the last thing, part of me has a hard time believing that Kanye West could spur a new wave of anti-Semitism, a new wave of neo-Nazism, a new wave of historical revisionism, Holocaust denial, et cetera, et cetera. I'd like to think there aren't that many people in this country who, when facing big life decisions or interpretations of history, say, hey, what does Kanye West think? I'd like to, and if you are one of those people, please stop, take a deep breath, reevaluate every decision in life that got you to this point and turn away and just do something else with your life. Kanye West should not be anybody's role model on anything. And if, you know, so I don't think it's going to be that. But on the other hand, we've had all kinds of people doing all kinds of shocking things uh, in the public eye for a long time. It's been part of our pop culture. A whole bunch of us on the right didn't like it and never liked it. We just kind of, you know, we didn't have the ability to control who was a star in Hollywood. We didn't have the ability to control who became, who ended up in the magazine covers. We didn't have the ability to control who was held up as a role model or someone you just had to hear about. But, you know, Kanye West, you know, we've seen all kinds of shocking things. Lady Gaga and the meat dress, for example. We've seen extreme, outrageous, provocative, and seemingly crazy actions from all kinds of celebrities. But we've never heard a celebrity come out and say, hey, Hitler's underrated. Hitler gets a raw deal. He's a lot better than you thought. That's really a new one. And as I went to this, Joel, you probably have to go back to Charles Lindbergh to find an American celebrity who was so openly willing to embrace Nazis. So God, I hope this doesn't lead to anything worse. But we are kind of in uncharted territory here. Look, Kanye West desperately needs severe mental uh, health treatment. Apparently he's had medication in the past and he's chosen not to take the pills because he thought the doctors were Jews or some sort of nonsense or something like that. Like, look, you know, I'm not a mental health professional, but this seems like a clear cut case for somebody who needs intervention before he does something terribly destructive to himself or somebody he loves. In fact, you could argue yeah. he's already done something terribly destructive. But here we are. Yeah. This is our situation. And it'd be really nice if every single person, left, right, and center, could say, whoa, no, Kanye, the Holocaust happened. Hitler was not a good guy. And you're not on top of things. This is, you know, Nazis were not the heroes. As Indiana Jones taught us, Nazis, we should hate these guys. You look <laughs> at all that, we should be able to do that left, right, and center. But I do notice we're not here. I haven't heard from a whole bunch of people who used to support, uh, who were fans of Kanye West not too long ago. But I suppose the day is young, Greg, and the weekend is almost here.
It is. It is. Just a couple of quick thoughts. First of all, I think uh, the mental health issue is a big one, and I think it's a huge issue in this country right now. I think the pandemic exposed it and probably exacerbated it, but certainly exposed it. I mean, from the ridiculous amount of crime we're seeing of people getting shoved in front of subways uh, to what we're seeing here. And he's responsible for his comments, whether he's mentally ill or not. But I'm not excusing it entirely from that perspective. But he clearly needs help. I mean, this is a guy who went on national television 16 years ago and said that George W. Bush uh, doesn't care about black people. He did the whole Taylor Swift thing. I mean, that was ages ago. So this guy's had problems uh, beyond being an egomaniac uh, a long time ago. Um, I think the person who showed that he cared about it most yesterday was Elon Musk by suspending his Twitter account. <laughs> and then I think the best reaction to uh, the comments was Chris Lash on Twitter saying, exhaustive list of the good things Hitler has done. Number one and only number one, killed Hitler. <laughs> and so yeah, I, I guess you gotta give him credit for that one <laughs> i mentioned uh veterans before i'll i'll uh, i'll close on this one because i think it's so appropriate there's a guy uh that i had a chance to interview as a good friend of our organization for many years named uh colonel ed shames he was one of the original band of brothers in fact uh parachuted into normandy uh, battle the bulge and then all the way to hitler's eagle's nest and he was at one of our conferences and he told the story about how he got to Eagle's Nest, and as you might expect, the GIs were raiding everything in sight, including Hitler's wine cellar. And so Colonel Shames goes down there and he uh, he grabs himself a bottle of cognac, but he doesn't open it. And the rest of the guys are like, come on, Shames, come on, we're having fun here. He's like, no, 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 I'm taking it home, taking it home. He opened it in the late 1960s, Jim, to celebrate his son's bar mitzvah. Ooh, that's excellent. Yeah, could not have a weirder way to end the week, but uh, nonetheless, hope springs eternal for better news next week. Boy, you were prescient on Monday when you said this week was going to get nuts. It sure did. (laughs) This has more nuts than Jimmy Carter's peanut farm. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already, and uh, tell a friend about us as well. Uh, thank you for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep them coming. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Get Jim's brand new novel, Gathering Five Storms, and the accompanying short story, Saving the Devil. Uh, also follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a terrific weekend, and join us again on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hey, this is Todd Herman, host of The Todd Herman Show. You might have heard me on Rush Limbaugh's show. I was a regular fill-in for about eight years. God rest Rush. I now do a show out of the high mountains of free America because, you know, I got exiled from Seattle. The Department of Homeland Security is an illegal agency, and it has partnered illegally with tech platforms. It is 100% fact that they are using these platforms um, to perform censorship. It's not in question. They admit it. They even admit that it was illegal, but they keep doing it. Check out The Todd Herman Show every day on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.